we've gone through a lot of staff things, and we've talked about a number of, of things we maybe would do good to just go back through and uh, remember the things we've talked about over the course of the weeks, which would be a good thing to do. We're not going to do it today. Uh, but one of the questions, and particularly Darlene was asking it last week, I think, so, okay, well, you know, what do we do? What's, what's the Sabbath all about? You know, what's the Lord's Day all about, and how do we address this thing? Um, and I thought, okay, well, we have the, the basic notions of the works of worship, of mercy, uh, and of uh, necessity. And so kind of pressing into those three things and saying, let's see what that looks like more than we have. I think we've talked about it, but we haven't really explored it. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road for us in our kind of Sabbath keeping and our Lord's Day activities. Okay, well, here are the categories of, of work that God tells us to do, to rest from other ones, but to engage in these. And the first of them is worship. That's the first and primary work of the Sabbath is worship, so I figure we deal with it first. And that's what I think what the, the Psalm 92 deals with anyway. Uh, okay, so the first, any thoughts on that, just on the kind of little run-up and some of the stuff we've done and maybe how it ties into what we're looking at today? Verses, I think, is interesting that uh, there, 
I think in, the, in history, maybe somebody knows there, there's even some church we don't sing. There's no, no instruments, no music. Or this or primarily, that's all there is, is music and, and no doctrine, no de- declaration. So, yeah. Good. So I just think it's interesting. That I yeah, that's super helpful. For 92, that they're having those items. Yeah, good. Um, and so yeah, I think as we run through this, the word worship we'll be working on thinking to fill out in a broader sense because most often I think when you hear people mention worship they mean the singing of praise to God. That's what they mean by worship. They don't mean like the hearing scripture read. They don't mean confession of sin. They don't mean the declaration. They don't mean those things. They mean singing. Right? I mean, I don't know if you've noticed that or not but I would think like a very high percentage of people that I hear talk that's exactly what they mean when they say worship. They don't mean a fulsome experience of worship filled out with all the things that are supposed to be included in worship. They mean that one aspect of it. So that's one thing I think that builds on to, uh, and then more. Right? It gives us. So let's, let's go through it and kind of fill some of that. And Bill's already picked up a couple things that I kind of left out in, in organizing this and trying to simplify it. Uh, the music is one of them, interestingly enough. So, so the first verse is we just read the first four. That's the first section here. A psalm, a psalm for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to Yahweh, to sing praises to Your name, O Most High, to declare Your steadfast love in the morning, Your faithfulness by night. To the music of the lute and of the harp, the melody of the lyre, to you, O Yahweh, for you, O Yahweh, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I will sing for joy. Okay. So we have, in this first place, I think, praise. It says, giving thanks to Yahweh is in verse 1. Praise is another word that's used to translate it. Uh, Giving thanks to God. Praising his name, right, is, is kind of the... Which, which ties in nicely with that very limited definition of just singing praise to God, being worshipped. Uh, that's part of it. Uh, and maybe a mainstay of, of, of Christian worship is the musical worship of God, the singing of his praises, and declaring those attributes in the same. Because don't we both praise him and declare his attributes when we're singing? Right? If we're singing good stuff, we're singing the scriptures, we're doing both. We're praising him and declaring his, his attributes. So we have praise to Yahweh and the Most High, both, both there in verse 1. So we're declaring the covenant name of God. That's what Yahweh is, or Jehovah. Uh, is the, the covenant name of God revealed in salvation to his people. Uh, that he is who he is. And, uh, and Jesus comes, of course, and takes that on as well in any number of ways. Uh, that he is. Uh, he's the great I am. So we have Jehovah, Yahweh, is the one that's the object of our praise and our thanks. But also singing praise to your name, O Most High. God Most High. El Elyon. Is the one good. So the... The most high God, the one above everything, the absolute sovereign. That's uh, the object here of our, of our worship. And the first thing is with A, it's good to do that. It's good. Right? That's the, and that's the first word of the, of the verse there. Toh, good. Like, good it is to sing praises. Uh, and I think that's something that when we find ourselves in a situation where it's like, oh, I've got to go to church, got to go whatever, you know, kind of get lethargic or whatever, we're missing this very thing that is good. There's a, there's a good thing here for us, and to kind of push ourselves into that and receive that goodness by participating in it. Uh, like, you know, we want to say we, we, we worship to glorify God, but God doesn't increase in glory at all. He builds us up. Right? It's, it's for our good that we worship. It's for his glory, but it's for our good. Right? He uses that for to build us up and I think that's maybe the most important thing in worship, is that we behold God in all his glory, the covenant God, the Almighty, the one over all, and we humble ourselves before him and praise him, and that does us good. All right? I mean, it puts us in a spot where we're humbled 
we have the, you know, under the hand of the Almighty, that's an excellent place for us to be. Be humble week by week on the Sabbath. To, to remember who we are and who, who we worship. Uh, <clears throat> and that it's good to do so. The morning and evening part, this is kind of run through what I have, <clears throat> so we declare some attributes of God here. It says, uh, declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. So, you know, if you, if you read that in the Bible, you think, okay, well, does that mean there's a special time in the morning to declare God's uh, faithfulness and a special time at night to declare this other attribute? Or is it saying morning and night, right? The whole day, right? This, this whole time is, is for declaring the attributes of God. That's what I put here, morning and evening, all day. And then divine attributes, all his glorious attributes. Right? So a couple are specified and a couple times are specified. But I think the idea there is that throughout the Sabbath day, we declare the glories of the attributes of God. We, we concentrate on him. We focus on him. We remember his, who he is and, how, and his works, the last part, all his works as well. Who he is and what he's done. And we talk about that with reference to Jesus, usually with terminology of the person and work of Christ. We say, okay, well, who he is, glorious son of God, the God man, and so on, and what he's done, his great work of salvation, the cross work, and stuff like that. So we talk about the nature of God and the works of God, and that's what we see right here in the psalm as well. That morning and evening, this is what we're talking about. This is what we're doing. And it's not interesting, I don't even know the answer to it, but it's not evening and morning. You might think in a Jewish sense, okay, well, all day long is... Evening and then morning, because it starts in the evening and then it's, you know, sundown. But it doesn't say it this way. And I think in, I'm trying to think of other psalms if they do morning and evening. If there's significance to that, I'm not sure as far as the order goes, but that's just kind of the question that's up there. Uh, but, so the idea, at least in the Sabbath, right to begin with, it's good for us to worship God. It's good for us to praise God, to remember Him all day, to remember all His attributes and all His works being kind of the main body of what we're doing on the Sabbath is praising God for those things. Any, any thoughts or, or questions? Just in this first little four-verse section of really praising and thanking God for who he is, taking the day. I can't think of another song that uh, David says. <clears throat> I was glad when they said that let us go into the house of the Lord. 73. It's right there. Oh. But you're right. That's, that's part of the deal, the second part. Um, you know, so when, when he starts questioning the prosperity of the wicked, he gets right to where the psalm's at. Psalm 23 is the same kind of deal. Um, the bookends thing. So, like, one of the, uh, one of the Sabbath traditions, in the, at least in the Dutch Reformed, if not more continental, is to gather for worship in the morning, gather for worship in the evening. That's so a morning and evening service, and that's just kind of how it goes. And uh, I think that was kind of raised up in that tradition, though I don't really remember going to evening service as much. Uh, but certainly our church out in Linden, where we were in school and all that thing, that morning and evening worship, and, and the consistory got after us as the college kids. Say, come, come back in the evening. Uh, you know, it's, it's a Sabbath day. Come back. And if you just, because it's in Linden, it was a half hour away. You know, we would go to someone's house and hang out and have lunch and rest a little bit and then go back to the evening service. Uh, so that was, that was a, a wonderful pattern they had going. <clears throat> it's kind of a hard pattern if you don't, look, you don't see it around. I mean, occasionally you'll find churches have a morning and evening service on Sabbath. I, I, think, I think it's waned in this generation, yeah. and particularly in the West. Um, you know, when we were when we lived in Memphis before moving out here, I think just about every church had an evening. They, it was traditional: Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening. Just about every church did. Yeah, right. And, you know, and so it wasn't limited to which one. And it, I think it, it, it was the thing. Uh, 
up until recent years, even you know, in high school when I first got saved, the churches in the community that I lived in all had morning evening and Wednesday afternoon, no, or Wednesday evening. So this, I think, is just we we fill our lives with other things. Yes. So maybe the uh, the evening service has gone the way of the Sabbath altogether in the 20th century. Uh, I like to say that uh, his name, the president of Westminster down there, Godfrey is the 20th century witness the silent death of the Sabbath. Before that, you can see the Sabbath was part of public life, it was, it was part of American culture, and in the 20th century it just became not. It just became not. Uh, and I think this all ties in with it. But, and, and I don't know that the, the Bible doesn't, as far as I can tell, prescript that we should say, oh, here are the times of services and care that we're doing the Lord's Day. I don't think that's it. But there, I think, are hints like this. You say, at the very least, the whole day is the Lord's, right? It's the Sabbath day. And that's a tough thing for us to wrap our minds around because we're like, well, it's a Sabbath section of the day, and then once we're done with worship, then we're off to the races and kind of do whatever we want sort of thing. Um, and I think that's kind of a problem in the way we think about the day, right? That we, we can do whatever we want so long as we want to do what God says to do that day, right? And then the other six days, we have a broader range of things that we're free to do, you know, our own business and so on. But the Sabbath day is this focus on, on God and here and on his worship because it's good for us to do that. It's to our benefit that we take time off and, and of our business and come gather together and, and praise and thank God for who he is and remember who he is and remember what he's done. Um, keep that in front of us. Any you know, kind of thoughts or questions on the first section? We're already 20 minutes into the half hour, so we messed up. Okay. The second one is, uh, is a little closer, maybe something that we might not think of with the Sabbath, something maybe we think of theologically or whatever, but maybe not the Sabbath. Um, next section here is starting at verse 5. How great are your works, O Yahweh, your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, uh, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, yet they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Yahweh, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Yahweh, your enemies, um, behold, shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. Okay. So, <clears throat> while on the one hand we praise God and thank Him for who He is, part of that is His justice. That God will judge. That no one's going to escape the justice of God. And I think we all think we will, somehow, right? One way or another, the degrees, and certainly I think worldly people who don't pay any attention to whatever, which is what's going on here, you know, they, God will really judge us. Who sees? Who really sees the stuff that I do and see? Who cares if I steal the money from whatever? You know, we, we, we kind of can tend into that. Even as Christians, I think we can tend into that foolishness. And part of the Sabbath day is to remember God will judge. He is the judge. No one's going to get, get, get away. Everyone's going to be held before the standard. And uh, humans are willingly blind to that. That's yeah, something that our uh, kind of Reformed heritage certainly teaches us is the, you know, the perversion and the suppression of the knowledge of God by sinners. This is one of them. Does God really see? No, he, he won't take note. He won't, he won't notice. Um, so it says there in verse 6, The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. It doesn't mean that like an insult. You know, it's not, he's stupid. It's not that. It's just uh, it, there's, there's a foolishness and stupidity in the heart of man and people. We're blind and blind ourselves to these things. And the Sabbath reminds us. Okay, the worship of the Lord reminds us of the justice of God, the judgment of God. Uh, and then looking around and seeing them, you know, it's that they sprout up like grass and they, they flourish. And there's the you know, picture we have in the scriptures of, of, of men, you know, coming up like grass and the flower of the grass. And then the wind blows over it and the heat scorches it's gone. 
right? It's, it's beautiful and there for a moment and then go on to how transient are our lives in that respect. Um, but how transient is the prosperity of the wicked? I was just uh, watching some Jeffrey Epstein deal and, you know, talk about a guy who for a number of years is just high on the hog, tons and tons of money, tons and tons of connections, untouchable because he's got blackmail on everybody so no one can take him down. But when he comes down, he comes on fast and hard. Right? Fast and hard. And I think that's kind of something the scriptures tell us over again. Yeah, these guys will flourish. And you can look at them and say, what are they doing? What's God doing? But when they come down to God's justice, they come down hard. Um, and we should be reminded of that kind of thing on the Sabbath. That should be a Sabbathly reminder, right? That goodness of praising God and thanking Him and remembering uh, the end of the wicked, right? That God will judge. And, uh, and even if they prosper now, that, that shouldn't throw us. That shouldn't bother us. And, but it does. But it's a reminder week by week, Sabbath by Sabbath, not, not to not be bothered by the prosperity of the wicked. You can go read Habakkuk and whatever else. And there's plenty of, uh, you know, plenty of biblical writers are looking at the same theme and saying, well, well, how does this work, you know? Well, the Sabbath is part of remembering how it works, remembering who God is and remembering how this whole thing works, right? Because on Monday you're going to go back to work and you're going to be busy and you're going to forget about it. You're going to get jealous of your neighbor, well, all those things. But the Sabbath will help you. Week by week. And so I think it's nice to see this as, as a Sabbath issue to be reminded of not only the goodness of God to worship Him and praise Him, but His justice as well and His judgment. And then there's the Psalm 73, which is just the same thing of, you know, the psalmist almost stumbling, almost te- keeling over. And, uh, and then he gets taken to the house of the Lord. He's like, oh yeah, now I see. Now I get it. Now it comes into focus and I can, I can see what's going on. Um, so there's a recommendation to read Psalm 73, which we won't do now, though I didn't have in mind to do. Um, Okay, and seeing and hearing the truth, that's uh, just the, the words I use there. Behold, your enemies, O Yahweh, your enemies shall perish. All irredoables shall be scattered. We've got like an imperfect tense there, I think, which is looking forward. But isn't that part of our reality in having the truth of God proclaimed to us? We hear that. We see it right in front of us. And we can remember and look forward to these works of God. Not that he's, also, that he's done in the past, but also that he's going to do in the future. Right? And kind of rest in God himself. Uh, and see and hear the truth as we worship, so that we can go forth and live it throughout the week. So that's uh, Yahweh's judgment. I, I kept out the vowels in case you're curious. Uh, why, this is Y-H-W-H, if there's any confusion on that. And I suspect there is. I have no doubt that things that, like, um, I, I think that I've explained before, and I think that made clear, that just simply aren't clear out there. I totally get that, because it's happened back to me plenty of times, too. I'm like, did you say something about that? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I didn't hear it. I remember Tim Keller doing that to me. Yeah. Right. And so when, when the later on in the Middle Ages when the when the Jew, Jewish scholars, the Masorites, started putting the vowel pointings around the text they didn't want to enlarge or shape the text, so the dots and lines go around the text, um, they wouldn't put it around the what called the tetragrammaton, the name of God. Um, so it would, it would still be pronounced, but it would be pronounced differently and they didn't put the right vowels and so no one could pronounce it correctly. Anyway, that's kind of part of the that's part of the deal. So it, it comes across to us sometimes as YHWH, as Yahweh or Jehovah, and I'm down with either. Um, I'm, I'm still curious at how almost in overnight it became Yahweh in academia, uh, but anyway, but for years and centuries before that it wasn't. Anyway, I'm, so I'm curious about how that's gone, and I'm not quite sure. Uh, but anyway, Scott was talking about that uh, a couple weeks ago too. Talking about the Psalm one and two the covenant name of God. So that's it. When you, when you get Yahweh, it's, it's God's kind of like loving, covenantal name to his people. Right? Anyone else can call him God Most High or, or, or El or Elohim. Um, but his people, he's revealed himself to as 
I am who I am. He is what he always means. So, and that's or, the capital word? When it that's the capital word, yeah. And so the real meaning of it is he was, he is, he is to come. Oh. Right. That's, that's, and so you get that in Revelation 2 with Jesus, uh, yeah. who identifies himself again. He's Yahweh, right? He is the one who was and is and is to come. Uh, anyway, so that's the second part, the judgment of God, which should be apparent to us as we worship. Right? As we come on the Sabbath day, and not just worship, but preeminently worship, to remember the goodness of God, all his attributes, including his justice, and the judgment, and not lose track of that. Not lose track of it, because we get, I think that's something we do lose track of. We, we get jealous, we get lose, lose sight of uh, God's promises, and that we are His, belong to Him, and He will raise us up on the last day, Christ says. No one can stop it, no one can take you out of His hand or His Father's yeah. So that make that little section makes you think of stand up with God, be present now, that, that song, which Pearl tried really hard to request at Camp Fire at school. <laughs> stand up with God! <laughs> I didn't know what she was talking about. But that's like a judgment song. You know, and that's what you were saying before, that you don't often get songs about God's judgment unless you're singing the songs or yeah, there you yeah, in fact, to the point where it's like, it, it seems strange to us in a lot of ways to sing the Psalter because it's like, well, we don't talk this way. God's this way. It's like, how surprising. Yeah, okay, well, that's part of the Psalter course is to be surprised by God because we get a thin, kind of anemic, evangelical often view of things, and the Bible does better than that for us. And so we can sing better than that, too. Uh, yeah. Are there other thoughts on the judgment? The, the third stuff we have, the, the praising of God, the kind of focusing ourselves upon God upon his attributes, upon his works, praising him, it's good for us to do that, remembering his judgment uh, that is coming and helps us orient ourselves into the world and what's going on day to day. And then the, the same thing kind of with the flip side or the other side of the coin for, this, for the third section here, the lot of the righteous, to put there, and that will be verses 10 at the end here. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. It's kind of a fun one. Um, you, have poured, you have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of all my assailants. The righteous flourish like a palm tree. They grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of Yahweh. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are, in, they are ever full of sap and green to declare that Yahweh is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. So we have the we have the the consideration of the wicked and God's God's judgment upon the wicked. He's staying his hand that's coming. But then we have well, what is what are the what are the righteous? What are God's people? Then? How do we how do we understand ourselves? And how does the Sabbath help us understand who we are? Um, and we have this exalted horn. Um, you know, the horn is just a sign of strength, as far as that goes. So the exalted horn, like a wild ox, uh, is a strange one. I had a cross reference here. Let's look it up. Um, is that it? Okay. I was looking at it here and I didn't look it up. And I got numbers 2322, which I'll read right here. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox, which I guess, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time looking at wild oxen, but maybe they stand there all proud with their horns saying, What do you think? Come get me, try it. I don't know, you know, there's, there's, that, there's that image of strength and independence, maybe, I think, is, is the idea. And, uh, but anyway, certainly have the image of strength. You exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. What's that all about? 
What are they pouring oil making on folks for? Anointing oil. Um, yeah, so some anointing oil. What's, what's the idea of anointing? Like, what is the issue there? Separation. Sure. So there'd be a separation of the anointed one from the non. Um, an empowering, right? A, an unction of the Spirit, right? An unction of God, a power, an empowerment of God. Uh, to the point where, of course, Jesus the Christ is Jesus the anointed one. That's what Messiah means. He's the one who's been anointed beyond measure, right? With, with the Spirit and so on. Uh, so there's, there's this strength and, uh, and unction that's, that's uh, and we could say that's for Christ. I think we should always be reading the Bible with Jesus in mind, always first. It's a hard thing to do sometimes for us, because uh, we're used to reading it with me first. That's my devotional reading, and that's fine, the devotional reading, but I think we should always be looking to see Jesus in the text first, and then how we're in him, and how then it relates to us in him. Right, so we're reading kind of Christologically. But so this, this could be with reference to Christ, the exaltation of his horn, um, and uh, in the, the pouring over of fresh oil. And then this, my eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies, my ears have heard the doom of the evil of my evil assailants. Uh, so I don't, I'm not quite sure what to make of that. I can say, like, in the worship of God, again, the, the recognition of this, or is it Messiah looking forward saying, I can see where, what I'm doing and what's going to come from this. Uh, either way, if we're looking forward at God's victories, or if we're looking forward at Christ, and him looking forward at God's victories, we're looking forward at God's victories over the wicked, and that he causes his people to stand. He gives us eternal life, uh, and we see then the destruction of his enemies, which again, we get in the Psalms, but we don't get in praise songs, typically. Right? We're thinking about the songs that we sing in worship. Um, yeah, very, very rarely do you have uh, anything about the enemies of God, Sometimes they just pick little sections of scripture. Um, I can't remember how the text of the song goes, but it's, So shall I be saved from mine enemies. I will call upon the Lord. I will call upon the Lord. That's just like a little scripture that you pull out instead of music. And sometimes you hit it there, uh, but if it's just like a normal, you know, a normal hymn even, or a, a praise song, almost never. You have consideration of the destruction of God's enemies, but you have it all through the Bible. Right? It's really true. You can't hardly read the Bible without finding it. Um, and so I think we have this here. That's part of the Sabbath. Remembering the glory of God destroying his enemies. That's a glorious thing to face. Even though maybe it's confusing to us because some of those enemies are our loved ones. Right? I mean, that's, that's, so that's trying to figure that out is hard. Yet, um, the hope is, and I think this is true in, in, the, uh, in the new heavens and new earth, or even as we move off of this moral coil, um, that some things like that will come into shape for us in a way that we just don't have now. We just can't figure out now, particularly the judgment and justice of God that is so terrible uh, and awful for us to think about. Uh, yet, I think even with that terrible awfulness in eternity, we'll rejoice in it, fully rejoice in it. And uh, we won't weep over hell so much as we'll rejoice over it. On the right now, we kind of do both, mostly weep, as far as it goes. So I don't know, I'm not quite sure how that would go, but you can see that dimension here in the Sabbath, that we're getting a glimpse of something beyond. Right? We're getting a glimpse of the justice of God to come. Uh, that this day affords us. Uh, and then the flourishing part here. Well, excuse me. Yes. Is that not a uplifting thing for us to, in faith, realize that no matter how bad things are, how who whoever's against us, God is for us, moments, and then here that builds our faith that we can, can and should be confident that the enemies are not going to try to us. And even if we lose our life, they are going to. 
That, that, that's it. And, uh, and so along with that, tying it back in, that's part of the Sabbath. That's part of the gift of the Sabbath to us. Is that remember that. Not be confused, not, not be misled, uh, by whether it's the flourishing of the wicked or whatever else, that we got this thing dialed in because we know who God is and we know his works and we rest in them. Right? We trust him and his promises. Um, and so with that, though, I think then the Sabbath gives us something and it compares here the, the, the palm tree and the cedars of Lebanon with, with what? What's the comparison? Maybe it's not immediately evident, but it's within the psalm here. The grass. Sure, the grass and the flower. Right, so that grass is just transient and off it goes. But not that big palm tree the last couple hundred years, or the cedars of Lebanon, which is like the image in the Bible of great strength of creation and things like that. It's like, no, that's what the righteous are like. The wicked are like this grass, they get blown away. It's pretty, and it's, man, it goes until it blows away. But not like this, right? Not like these great trees that are, uh, you know, we can think back to Psalm 1, wherever else, primarily Psalm 1, right? But Christ is that great tree, and we're all little trees. Uh, and, and so here's the picture of the righteous then flourishing like a palm tree and growing like a cedar in Lebanon. And it's not that they're just planted out there in Lebanon. Where are these trees planted? Yeah, the house of Yahweh, the house of our God. That's what they're doing. They're there worshiping, right? They're there on the Sabbath to worship, and they're flourishing and growing, unlike that grass out there. Uh, this is going to pull away. It's be done, right? We have this longevity in mind. And part of that longevity you can see is even the old folks getting here. Um, they're verse 14 there, but still, uh, they still bear fruit in old age. Right? So there's, and then, it's, you know, Whole lot of old folks here. Still, I guess it came from came from lunch there. <laughs> but and I think more honestly, it's something like Bob or whatever. It's like you know, he's, he's getting up there, um, and he's still trucking along, just on you know, just on a human level. He's strong and he does stuff. And he has to sit down every now and again. But there's a spiritual reality below that that's that's more substantial. That you're in Christ, and this doesn't end. Right? Even when you draw your last breath, it doesn't end. You're just taking a trip somewhere else. It's going to be way better. Right? So this thing doesn't end. And it's yours, Christ is yours all the way to the end of your earthly life and beyond. And so God has plans for you to grow and flourish all the way to the end. Right? You know what I mean? It's not like you have to keep the same age or something if you were in your, when you were 45. Um, but that there's work to be done. Right? There's work for our young people to do. There's work for just the youngest people to do in the, in the kingdom. And there's work all the way to the oldest to be done. And this picture then of the righteous flourishing on the Sabbath in the worship of God is this fruitfulness all the way to the end. Right? Which I think should be our goal. Right? That we don't give up. Right? It's like Paul. I want to finish the race. I want to get there hard and strong. Um, right? and I think that's, that's something for old folks to read and say, okay, cool. I get down with that. Uh, however old we are, however pain we are, the pain we are in our joints and such. Yeah. I'm curious about that too. I'd have to do some further studying about the unto um, old age that part there, um, because I, I kind of don't think that it's chronological old age. Uh, in a way, I mean, I don't think it's pertaining to longevity necessarily. I'm hoping and kind of thinking and praying also that no matter how demented I get or we get or the ugliness of death. That Pastor Lee spoke when he spoke at Russ Folk's funeral. The ugliness of death that God will sustain us even if we're not able to. Uh, I'm, I don't even know. I'm not sure. I have to ask Nurse Debbie. 
if we lose all our thought of ability to do anything or think, will we still, according to the song, be able to praise God at our last breath? Is that what this is saying? Or is it not? Is it something to yeah, I think you might be on to something there. That's definitely a bit of a quandary too, how God or how God works with and in people when they kind of lose it. You know, uh, it kind of puts them just like so many things back at like the beginning of life. You know, a similar sort of thing where are they getting this thing? I don't think they even have the capacity to get it and kind of gets that same point again. Uh, yeah, God's the one who says He holds us, and uh, you know, and, and even the sap, right? The, the kind of green and sappy. Right? That's like the liveliness. That's the goodness and, and the you know of God to us all the way to the end. Um, so, yeah, how that end looks in this fallen world is often kind of nasty, maybe you know. But I think if we have this Sabbath view, we say, well, this isn't it. Even the even our decrepit bodies or our goofy minds. That's not it. God, God's got that as well. Right? Uh, the salvation encompasses even that. Um, so. That's, that's been one of my like main kicks to the groin of uh, Armenian theology is like, what do you do with people who just lose their minds? Did they lose their salvation? They've been Christians all their lives, and suddenly they can't figure out, uh, they can't call you by name or anything else, they don't know much. Have they therefore lost their salvation? How silly. How wicked, I think, to think something like that. So, well, we know there are ravages uh, on the mind, uh, but God says, I'll preserve you through it, I'll keep you through it. I'll even keep you green and sappy through it. Um, so there's that, there's that vision we have, I think, on the Sabbath day of worship, of the goodness of God, His attributes and works, the judgments of God, but also who we are, and, and, and gearing up, saying, oh, this is who we are in Christ, and, um, let's keep busy, let's keep active, a little bit of the Mary the hard worker uh, involved in this one here. Um, the last thing, that is, is back to this declaration, kind of Bill mentioned at the beginning, that Yahweh's upright. That's, that's the, you know, we, we get this right at the end here. Uh, so they're still bearing fruit in their old age, are full of sap and green, to declare. So these are, the, these are the, the, the righteous. To declare that Yahweh is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So the focus goes right back to God. Right? It goes right back to the object of our praise and our worship from the beginning. Is that he's upright, and, um, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And of course the rock, standing on the rock... Lord Jesus Christ again, taking a kind of common refrain from the, from the Psalms, taking our feet out of the miry clay and sticking us on the rock that's higher than ourselves and so on. That's, that's the way we arrive at So that, all this to say, the Sabbath day is a gift to us, and one primary gift in that is worship, and this is the kind of stuff we get from that. This is the kind of goodness that flows to us as we worship the Lord Sabbath by Sabbath, which is the primary work of the day of rest. Any uh, kind of closing thoughts or fan, fan yourselves? <laughs> it's hot here. Not getting any cooler. Okay. Well, with uh, no questions or thoughts, side guy, let's give thanks and uh, we'll roll.